Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, August 8th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you on this episode. We've got a lot of big questions from the mailbag. One about our expectations for closers in 2023. Will sanity return to the ADP? We'll take a look at whether or not early closers have been a good investment so far this season and whether that might shape the market for next season. Going to dig into quantifying risk. Really good question about that. Injured pitchers still expected to come back this season. Our expectations for those players and a particular strategy approach with hitters that I think actually is really good but did not work particularly well for one of our listeners. So we'll dig into that a little bit later on in the show as well. You know, how's it going for you on this Monday? Touch and go, touch and go. I, uh, I have an allergy to raw garlic, and I did not think that I had to think about it. Like when I go to Italian places, I basically ask the waitress, you know, uh, if I go to Middle Eastern, I, I ask the way I ask somebody, I ask the waiter, I ask somebody, the cook, you know, what's the raw garlic in? I went and got ramen, and I, I didn't mm. know that there were a lot of places putting raw garlic in their ramen, but uh, let me tell you, I was laid low. I was laid low. I was laid low. Sorry to hear that. That seems like a thing that's very hard to avoid, even with the effort to try and figure out what's going on in any particular kitchen when you when you go out to eat. Those unpleasant surprises you can stumble into. Well, I mean, garlic isn't everything, but, you know, cooked garlic I can handle is uh, raw, the tapenades of the world. No, no tapenades here on rates and barrels. Let's get to the closer ADP question for 2023. It's a, more a question about the current season because the current season influences what happens in the future. Will Sanity return to closer ADPs? I looked at the ADPs from April of the Rotowire Online Championship, the 12-team NFBC leagues, the 350 entries. The reason why I looked at those is because it's a higher volume of those leagues, and I think that gives you a, a broader sense of what people were doing right before the season started. Now, you might remember Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, inside the top 30 ADP-wise. Josh Hader finished with an ADP of 23.95 in 12-team Rotowire Online Championship Leagues from April 1st to April 7th. So I looked at the stuff right before opening day. Uh, Liam Hendricks right there with him at 27.85. A little bit of a gap before you get down to Rysel Iglesias around pick 40. Emmanuel Classe also inside the top 50. So you had four in the top 50. Uh, Edwin Diaz wasn't far behind. Right, uh, Ryan Presley was right there in the mix as a top six closer as well with an ADP around 60. And if you start thinking about what these players have done this year, you're not actually all that happy with many of them so far. I mean, the hater situation until about the first week of July, I think you were pretty happy with what he was doing, and ratios have crumbled a bit in recent weeks. So maybe that could still correct itself over the course of what's left of the season. We know Hendricks has spent some time on the IL. You know, Rysel Iglesias is probably the biggest surprise of all because, to me, the skills looked really stable going into the season. The Angels mysteriously stopped generating save chances for a while. And then he got traded, so the chances of him getting saves late in the year are way, way down right now. So just looking at the very top of, of the closer list going into this season, do you think that's going to get people to pull back a bit on the level of aggressiveness we saw with top-end closers in 2022? Well, I, I get with that, so uh, it's kind of hard for me to understand the entire reasoning just because you see that dollar sign earned and you compare it to the dollar signs earned of the players picked around them, and it's just such a stark difference. I mean, how much has Jordan Alvarez earned this year? 
Right. If you look at, like, so the alternative picks by ADP, the players that were going just after Hader, Jordan Alvarez, Starling Marte, Teoscar Hernandez, Byron Buxton. I mean, that's a that's a huge difference in terms of, of their value. And I'm looking right now. The value on Jordan Alvarez in a 12-team league, same format, $37. Second most valuable outfielder behind Aaron Judge, who's... He's, he's out in his own planet. We're not cherry-picking because all those names you named gave more than 7 bucks. Right. Starling Marte, like $23. 23. There you go. Teoscar Hernandez, even 17 right? And, and, he's, and he's, you know, he hasn't had the best season so far. That, that would be a bad outcome for a third-round third, third round pick or whatever, you know. And it's twice the value of the guy that people were taking at closer as he was taking in the end of the second. Uh I think there were some parts that were maybe unforeseeable that kind of tanked them, which I kind of think of um, maybe the fact that the run environment cratered. And so perhaps it was harder for a reliever uh, to provide the same kind of ratios help vis-a-vis the rest of the league because the, the run environment smaller, went down. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and so uh, that's partially what happened. And, and um, it's kind of it went down in a way that's really interesting. Is that yes, strikeouts went down, but they went down from like twenty two point six to twenty two point four or something. Like you know, strikeout rate went down just a tiny bit, but homers went down big, and the run environment went down big. Well, what do relievers give you ratios and strikeouts over average, right? But if the average strikeout rate didn't go down that much, maybe relievers were really struggling to uh, separate themselves from the pack like they have in the past. If the average reliever uh, strikes out, you know, one per inning and has a 3-8 ERA, then Hader, you know, with a 15K9 and a and a 1-5 ERA is really going to strike himself, is really going to set himself apart and give you some value there. But maybe that's just not the same when the average reliever has a 3-2 ERA or a 3-4 ERA and strikes out, you know, still strikes out a batter per inning. So I, I think that might be some part that's like slightly unforeseeable. Uh, the other the other is just, um, I understand that there's scarcity at the top, but, you know, when I look at the end of season, um, you know, stuff and pitching plus ratings from last year, uh, you know, Liam Hendricks was first. Uh, and um, at least in Stuff Plus, and actually in Pitching Plus too, Ryan Presley was second. Paul Seawald was uh, third among potential closer candidates. Um, and so you, you know, this is what I was trying to do: was get Presley later than everybody else, and add Paul Seawald later, um, and uh, was largely successful. Um, if you followed that, you would have gotten a lot of, uh, if you would follow Pitching Plus, you would have gotten a lot of Jordan Romano and Ryan Presley um, to start the season as your as your first two uh, closers, and you wouldn't have had to spend a second-round pick. I got free Tanner Scott everywhere just because his Pitching Plus was great. So uh, there's a couple different questions that come to mind. Presley is someone we've talked about a few times this year because we've been concerned about his health, and he just hasn't been quite as sharp as we expected but overall this year a 309 era a 0.97 whip 38 k's and 32 innings and 21 saves he's doing he's doing the main thing you need he's not hurting you in the ratios he's just a little lighter in k's than the elite relievers and i I wonder if the way we calculate value for closers is actually wrong even though i think the formulas are are right it's almost like because there's such an odd commodity that the inflation, the tax you have to pay is in some ways necessary. I'm not trying to make the case for spending up at the level that people were spending up on Hader and Hendricks again, but I'm I'm just looking at this and saying, I wouldn't be unhappy with Ryan Presley's season so far where we drafted him. And yet here we are, like he's coming up as like a, what, a six or $8 player in a lot of calculators. That's just kind of strange, isn't it? I do think that this actually has a parallel in real life baseball, which is that if you look at war wins above replacement, um, and then you look at dollars per war or whatever, uh, it looks like the market always overpays for relievers. And so you could come away with that saying, I'll never pay for relievers. And then you'll never get a, a reliever on the open market. And there are certainly teams that have decided to act like that. Um, but on the other hand, um, you could look at it and say, perhaps there's something the free market 
uh, understands better than this number. <laughs> right. um, and uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps, and this is what I have done when I've looked at dollars per war and, and, and tried to like tease out how much a win costs on the open market for real life players. One thing that I have uh, decided to do is just remove relievers from the pool and, and kind of judge them against them, themselves. Um, and I think that makes some sense. Um, you'll get, you'll certainly get higher numbers that way. And you'll start to, you'll start to understand that there's, you know, sort of a dollars per win for relievers and a dollars per win for everybody else. And part of that also is that the relievers get shorter contracts. So that's a real life concern. That's not really necessarily one for us to consider too much in fantasy. But it's easier to give someone $10 million a year if it's for three years than if it's for 10. <laughs> you know? It's mm -hmm. just an easy thing to say. Um, but uh, the corollary is still there where, you know, you run the numbers in fantasy and you find, oh, relievers just aren't worth it. You could say, uh, you know, give me Paul Sewald and Tanner Scott and Anthony Bender. That, that's what the, the model would have told you to do if you weren't going to spend it all. You were going to buy them super, super late. And you could have gotten right, right? But you could have also uh, drafted Tyler Rogers and, uh, you know, Ryan Thompson and Andrew Kittredge. Also three relievers that did really well in Pitching Plus that you could, you could argue yourself into, into saying, oh, yeah, they could be the closer, right? Um, if you did the if you did the first three, you'd be like, "Sweet, I'm doing all right." Look at these yeah. three sweet closes I got. If you did the second three, you'd be like, "I have zero saves." <laughs> right, I've lived that in a draft and hold where I ended up not bothering with first, second, or third tier relievers. Oof. Thought I could be really clever, and I yeah, I used the model. And in draft and hold, that means you have to do like you had to you had to buy like six relievers. You had to use more roster spots. I burned a lot of roster spots, which then, because of the attrition in the format, when you start to lose players that you can't replace the injury, which inevitably happens, then you're playing short or you have fewer choices when it comes to filling out your lineup every week. So there's there's that kind of hidden cost of of chasing you're saves You're playing some middle way. relievers in your, in your lineup just because you don't have anybody else. <laughs> yeah, so it's not great. But I think the way that, that I'm starting to approach closers is looking in, especially in snake drafts. I mean, obviously if you're playing dollar for dollar, everything's totally different. If you can just bid what you want for the player, then that sort of fixes the problem. But in a snake draft, those alternative picks, the, the opportunity cost that to me matters. And I think when you get up into the pick 30 range, I always like the hitters that go in that range more than I like the closers available in that range. That's the Jordan Starling Marte, Teoscar Hernandez, Byron Buxton, you look at the guys around Liam Hendricks, maybe a couple other uh, banana peel, you know, mistakes, Mario Kart style errors you could make. But it's a it's a good group overall. I mean, Tim Anderson's really solid across the board. Bieber's exceeded our expectations. Julio Rios has been good. Story's missed some time on the IL, but I don't think he's hurt you in that spot. Giolito's been the one like true like that's like the blue turtle shell for keeping with the Mario Kart. That's a it's a bad scenario mm -hmm. if you took Giolito up there. But then there was Aaron Judge up in that range too. So when you think about the hitters from those two groups that were going just after Hater and just after Hendricks, you were probably a lot better off going hitter just based on expectations for those players. And we know closers are volatile. Even good closers can be extremely volatile. Josh Hader might reel off a stretch for two months where he gives up one earned run the rest of the way and fixes the ratios and turns back into a $15 reliever before the end of the season. But he also might just be this for the rest of the season too. And this this might be what you get. And that's pretty disappointing. Yeah, I mean, you just look at aging curves and uh, for starting pitchers, they're softer. They have more pitches, you know, as their velocity goes, they, they have more command, you know, there's all these things they can do. They, they have more tricks in their bag. They age softly. Uh, relievers are more tied to their velocity. So as their velocity starts to go, uh, their just overall ability uh, starts to decline very fast. And so you have uh, these this class of players that you're judging off of small samples every year uh, that age really fast. Um, it's just a it's an awful place to be spending a lot of money in my in my respect in, in my opinion. And I think the the best place to 
um, the best way that I can think of it with uh, relievers is the way I think about uh, trying to get star players in an auction. Now, if you run your auction calculator, a lot of times it'll say the most expensive player should be worth $38, $39, maybe $40, right? And then you get into the auction room and Mike Trout goes for $45. And you say, oh, wow, another one of these, you know? And, you know, the first couple of times I, I, I ran out there with my values, I was like, I was like, well, I'm going to stick to my values. And I didn't get a first round player. And uh, guess what? I had more money than anybody else at the very end. And whoop-de-doo, I got a lot of $1 players for $2 because I could. Wasn't that exciting. Didn't win me in the league. Wasn't the greatest way to go. What I try to do now is try to get somebody at the very top at the lowest premium. So I say, okay, 45. That's plus five for me on Trout. Let's see what the next one goes for. Oh, all right. Here's another first rounder. That was plus three. All right. So now it gets to someone where I can buy them at plus two. You know, maybe I can get Jose Ramirez for $2 over my number. 37 over a 35. Boom, he's mine. I want him. You know, that $2 is actually not going to net me that much later on. And I'd rather have a first round talent. And I think that's the same thing for closers. is just trying to figure out which closer I'm paying the least premium on. You know? Which closer am I doing a plus one on or a plus two on instead of a plus five, you know? And so this year was uh, Presley and Romano uh, and to some lesser extent uh, in the second group, like sort of the Bednar Barlow types. Um, and, you know, it, it, it did, it, it can cost me, but I would have to say to you right now, uh, I am not hurting in saves in any of my leagues. Uh, I think it ended up being a really strong way to go. And um, along with the steal strategy, where I got a handful of steals uh, for, for all my power guys, uh, those two strategies work pretty well hand in hand. Because I did not pay a huge premium on my steals, and I did not pay a huge premium on my, uh, on my saves. And those two, you have to have, if I tell anybody that they going into a draft, you have to have a saves and, and, and steal strategy. That's that's the one thing I think everyone has to think about because they're awful stats. They're very scarce. Uh, they, they, they're attached to some of the worst players in the game. <laughs> and so uh, it's not like you can just be like, I'm going to take only good players at this draft. Well, congratulations. You're last in saves and you're last in steals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the question originally came in from Robert. And I think many top-end closers have underperformed so far. I think that's fair to say. But I think whether or not they've kept their jobs and are still getting you saves ultimately determines whether or not they've truly busted. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay, fine. The ratios came out a little high. In the environment you described, you know, where the run environment's been cooler than expected, you probably aren't feeling that quite as much as if it were... You know, a source where you were you were hope you were really hoping that that 150 or two ERA was going to help you, and it probably didn't make as much of a difference this year not having that as it might have in past years. So mm. that's the other part of all this. I mean, I think the sweet spot, the the great picks right now. If you invested early, if you have Class A or Edwin Diaz, where they went, even though the opportunity cost was pretty high, there were some really good players going around pick 50, uh, especially among just hitters. Those two have been great. So if you had them, yeah, you missed out on good hitters, but you probably are crushing everything you wanted from the relievers. That's about where I want. I wanted to take my picks. That's the earliest you wanted to yeah, go. Yeah, so, I, I started to pay attention in the fifth. I started to group the, the closers in the fifth, and and you know actually fourth is sixty, huh? Yeah, in a fifteen. In a yeah, fifteen. 15 in the fourth. Yeah, yeah, I'd start grouping them in the fourth, and I basically waited to see who would drop me in the fifth. So I did get screwed a couple times uh, with Gallegos instead of Romano because those those were the last two of that top group. I, I would usually have Presley, Romano, and Gallegos as a tr- threesome, and I really didn't want Gallegos, but I put him in my threesome, and I said, which one of these gets to me in the fifth? I'll take. And um, most of the leagues, I ended up still getting Romano or um, Presley. But uh, yeah, in some of the leagues, I got Gallegos. I guess in those leagues, I'm not doing that great by saves, but I still I still got some saves on him before he lost the job. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, Gallegos basically ended up in a share and I, I is it Helsley's job now? Like if we're if we're doing this exercise, drafting for, for next year and we're assuming this is what the Cardinals have in their bullpen again, is Helsley the guy that goes in the 8 to 10 range among closers that people are excited about? Maybe even a little higher if he finishes the year with sole possession of the job? Yeah, I mean, uh, I will I will definitely, um, you know, go through uh, the pitching plus model again. Uh, but Helsley, uh, 122 stuff plus, not not great command, uh, so he suffers a little bit by pitching plus, uh, but by stuff plus, uh, he's right there with Jordan Romano, uh, Joe Barlow, uh, Edwin Diaz. Like they're all pretty close. Um, I you know to me going into next year, uh, I'm I'm going to take the same philosophy because I just think that Hater's a little diminished and we're beginning to see the the fall. So is there somebody like Diaz and Classe? Are you you're going to take them ahead of Hater now? I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I don't think if to answer the other part of Robert's question, I don't think Sanity will return here. I think this is a thing that we're going to see for a little while because the NFBC has the overall components, especially. So maybe in that universe, the the new era is to keep doing this. Maybe in other places, it's not going to be as prevalent. I think you could take Diaz and Class A and just put them into the Hater Hendrick spots. Mm-hmm. Pick 25, pick 30 by the end of next draft season. You want to get a little discount on them? Draft early. You might get them a little bit cheaper before you get to the, the later part of draft well, season. I could see Hater falling into the pick 40-ish range where Iglesias was going. I almost It almost just seems like a big game of musical chairs to me where everybody just grabs a slightly different seat so long as they still have a job. And you know you just hope that you're not a year too early on someone falling apart. You hope you're not the one that had Aroldis Chapman this season right. because that that would be an early disaster pick based on what happened. Lost the job and hurt you before he lost the job. And that can happen if you decide that Hater in the fifth is where you want to end up. Um, but I, I'm not sure that I think that uh, uh, Hater is, uh, is done yet. So uh, I'll end up with some sh- shares of Hater. Um I would hope that the uh, Boston uh, situation gives us some clarity uh, because I like Tanner Houck and I like Garrett Whitlock, but I need one of them to kind of uh, take a hold of that job. Um, that's somewhere I would look. I would. I think Presley, for me, falls out of the circle of trust a little bit uh, based on his knee problems this year. Um, I think he would be more in the Gallegos group than in the Romano group for me. So I think it would kind of go something like Diaz, Classe, or Classe Diaz, Diaz, Classe, um, Hendricks? Hater. Hendricks and Hater are still up there. Hendricks and Hater. And who joins them above the Ryan Presley line? Clay Holmes getting up there? Maybe. uh, The the command is uh, kind of going a little bit. Um, Helsley could could jump up for me, yeah. Actually, I think Helsley... Devin Williams. Helsley. Uh, Devin Williams needs to right ship a little bit, and I'm also more worried about his health than most other relievers. Um, but uh, I think the sneaky play for me next year, if I'm just sort of trying to read between the lines and guess what it'll look like next year, might actually be Helsley, where I take Helsley in the fifth, and it seems aggressive, but... I'm getting a young guy on the way up that the model loves. See, part of the reason why we, I think we want to stick with trying to get one relatively early, even if we're not second, third rounding a lot of closers, the middle ended up being, I think, worse than expected, or at least it has been to this point. And that includes Gallegos, kind of a fringe top 100 guy, only because he's ended up sharing the job. But Corey Knable, who I liked, lost the job. Taylor Rogers was very good. And I, I almost look at that one and say, you, you pretty much got in the first four months of the season. You got a season's worth of value out of Taylor Rogers at that price. And even though he lost his job and then got traded and probably won't get many more saves again in Milwaukee, you could have done worse with that pick. Scott Barlow has been quietly really good all year, so maybe he creeps up a little bit. But Mark Melanson, bad. Gregory Soto, actually one of the few good picks from this range. Kittredge had Tommy John surgery and was pacing out for about 15 saves, sharing that role. <laughs> Would have been probably a slight disappointment overall, given the price. Jake McGee's been DFA'd twice. He was going at pick 155. 
Uh, Matt Barnes, disaster. And Camilo Doval, I think, is maybe like a a slightly better long-term version of Gregory Soto. Yeah, but what has he actually earned? I bet you hadn't earned that much. Three bucks. Yeah. Bednar's been a great value Whee! pick. And if he gets off the IL, he ends up moving up a lot. I have so I many shares of Bednar and Soto thanks to Pitching Plus. And then, of course, the uh, the value that just popped up out of nowhere. I mean, Helsley, Jorge Lopez had a 350 ADP. Clay Holmes was undrafted. Daniel Bard, because no one wants Rockies closers. He's been worth 9 bucks so far, had a 350 ADP. Seawald, 14 saves after a delayed start. Seems like that's a committee, but he might be the chair of the committee. If I can get him as a second closer next year, I'm going to do it. Yeah, he'll probably cost more, though. At 250 he was a bargain this year. He'll probably go more like 150 but I think if I if I if I got a closer at you know fifty to sixty, and then my second closer could go at one fifty, you know. Yeah. So if I went Helsley Seawald, and then wherever my model spits out for the bottom, I think I I think I can just repeat what I did this year. And um, David Robertson too was a good value in, by the way. In AL labor, I drafted Jordan Romano uh, for nineteen bucks. I think that was like six bucks less than Hendricks. Um, I drafted Jorge Lopez for $1 and Tanner Scott for $1 and Tyler Wells for $1. It's all because of the model. I like how Wells, especially in that format, because I had him in a mixed league and when he wasn't the closer, I said, there's no way he's going to be good with a larger role. What are the Orioles doing? How are the (laughs) Orioles so stupid? So I cut him. AL only league, you're not going to cut him. You're going to say, oh, let's just see what happens. See what happens. Oh, this is fantastic. This is like $10 worth of value. I left off to such a lead that I wanted to protect my ERA and whip, and I dropped uh, Tanner Scott. I mean, I got like, you know, 10 saves from him or something, or five saves from him, but uh, this this team was so good, I dropped Tanner Scott. Um, I I guess if, if, uh, is there anybody? I think Bednar uh, becomes a two, you know? Bednar is kind of like the new Romano. I think he creeps up to that range wow. at the back of the top 75. I think people are going to be yeah. totally comfortable with him. The only thing that might keep his price from getting to that level, I don't think the concerns about the Pirates being willing to trade him in the right deal midseason, I don't think those go completely away. And sometimes that's one thing that can hold a closer's value down you know, a round or two compared to where it should be. But he's also this is like his rook is like his second year, so he's not, I guess he would be inexpensive in arbitration maybe in twenty twenty four. They could think about trading him. That's possible. Yeah. But I guess that's that's our sort of our order is, is Class A, Hendricks, um Romano Hater Romano, Bednar, Helsley, Presley. Yeah, then Diaz Diaz at the top. Edwin Diaz closer one. Yeah, Diaz or Class A. Yeah. Let's see what the model says. Model loves <laughs> Class A. I mean, you can see it when you watch them for sure. It's pure filth. Yeah. Most Class of these guys at the top are that good. Pitching Plus says Class A. Well, I think, I think it'll, it'll be like an A-B thing. He's got a slightly better command. We can't forget Edwin Diaz's bad seasons when the command got the best of him. People will forget. They tend to forget, <laughs> right? It, it's it's the function of hey, the Mets aren't the Mets anymore. They're good, and wow, ninety one Ks and forty five in a third innings. He he could strike out one hundred and twenty guys in a full season. It, people people will forget the bad versions of Edwin Diaz, <laughs> and he will he will be right there in that Hater Hendricks twenty twenty two price range. I think going into next season. Uh, but thanks a lot for that email, Robert. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Let's get another email. This is about quantifying risk in the broader sense. Email came in from Adam. Adam writes, Ariel Cohen was speaking on this, I believe, as a guest on someone's podcast, explaining that quantifying risk is the next stepping stone in fantasy baseball analysis. Could this be as simple as forming a mathematical model weighing factors such as missed games, production variance, age, body type, things like that? Would love to hear a conversation about it. So I guess the question I have for you, you know, is what would you want to have in a model like this? And I know... We talked about the Jeff Zimmerman IL days calculation that he was putting together. That was a very manual process that he was doing for pitchers going into this season. So uh, what all would you want to take into consideration as you try and, and quantify risk with greater accuracy going forward? Well, there's some sort of uh, a streakiness risk, volatility that we've talked about on this podcast before uh, related to strikeout rate. Um, but sometimes a volatility like in head-to-head leagues, volatility is not uh, a terrible thing. You know, you could have someone just win you the season uh, by getting hot at the right time. Uh, but uh, that's one type of uh, risk I see. Of course, there's injury risk. Um, and then um, remember when Jesse Moon found that uh, projections are less reliable for pitchers, sort of over uh, for uh, hitters and pitchers over 32. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd I'd want some sort of age-related decline risk. Um, so I guess those are kind of the three main sources of risk for me, health, age related decline coming like surprisingly early or whatever, or, and, um, just the, the risk of getting a bad streak. See, for example, Fran Reyes, I think tells you a little bit about the risk of volatility on a seasonal level. You think, oh, the risk with Fran Reyes is he stinks at one part of the season and kills my whole season. No, the risk is that he hits one of those stretches where it's a whole season of bad. And I think that's what he's hit. I don't think Fran Reyes is done. I think he'll be back in the major leagues. Uh, but when you strike out as much as he does, there is still the risk of this sort of season-long funk sent down. You know, it, You're really just you're in bad waters when you're striking out that much. So I would have some sort of uh, performance base for this. I think that maybe the other one is maybe not striking out people as a pitcher, right? There are pitchers that make it through the season. If Tyler Wells made it through this whole season with the strikeout rate really low, he started, it's starting to come back up. But if he made it through this whole season with strikeout rate really low and the pitching plus model still likes him, I still would put a higher than normal risk number on him next year because he doesn't strike out with people, right? And I think that, you know, if Cal Quantrill, like other types... People that either beat the model or don't. I don't. I don't have to like you know step up for the model all the time. But I have to say like you know if they don't strike out people, they're riskier to me. And if they, as batters they strike out a ton, they're riskier to me. So I would have that as a as something I would like to quantify. Health is something I like to quantify, and then just something with with age. I think you can do a lot of this um, with the BP uh, uh, auction calculator. Because uh, what you can do there that you can't do in other places is move the slider on the player uh, to a percentile. So you can move uh, somebody up to the 75th percentile outcome and get a a dollar projection value on that. So I think what you could do is, I guess it would just be by hand, kind of go through your players and be like, oh man, this guy has a ton of strikeouts from Mill. I'm going to push him down to his 40th percentile, you know? Uh, this guy is 33 and coming. Josh Donaldson, 30, whatever he is, coming off a bad season. I'm going to push him down to 40th percentile, you know, and kind of try and push the slider up and down based on risk and maybe get your own sort of set of custom values. There's next level stuff that you can do around this too. I know Ariel started to do uh, some calculations looking at the inner projection standard deviations, inner projection skewness, trying to dig into very specific profiles. There's a whole post that he wrote about it, but frankly, I, I'm going to put a link to that in the show description because it's pretty good. It's better for you to read it in Ariel's words than for me to try and retell what he's doing over there. But it it gives you some really good ideas well, as to just how much a player profile can actually swing in one direction or another. Yeah. And I think the, I think the strikeout rate, what you'll find is uh, if you go back to the preseason projections on some of these guys with big strikeout rates, you'll find fairly large discrepancies in, in between the projection systems. Um, And that's what Ariel Cohen was getting at was this idea that a player with a wide skew between the projection systems is riskier than one 
that is more projectable, quote unquote, that uh, the, the projection systems widely agree on. Yeah. Um, so I did, uh, I did have that in my values this year for AL labor because I do work with Ariel Cohen. Um, and he's, uh, he's really, he's really good at that. And, uh, he'll get a major shout out if I finally win this year. <laughs> he deserves one regardless, um, mm-hmm. just, just for all the great work that he does. And, uh, it's funny. It, it's just like, uh, his day job, he's an actuary. So the, this is, this is the sweet spot for, right. for the things that he does exceptionally well. Yeah. Which I think you can do is, and this is sort of what I did is the inner, inner, was it called inner skew or whatever? There's the inner skew, yep. Yeah. Just have inner skew open and color-coded, right? And that just makes it easier when you're looking at the players you've selected, how much red and how much green you've put together, right? <laughs> like, if you've just put a team together with a ton of inner skew, like, maybe you're going for an overall title, you know? And you're just like, I'm leaning into the risk. I want this risk. It's like, with what did Mike Potters do? Oh, we have to revisit this. Early Billy Hamilton, right? No, but didn't he buy like eight straight injured pitchers? Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was another thing that he did. Yeah. How'd, I wonder how that worked out. I know Rodon was on there. It can't have been all bad. No, and I'm I'm thinking back to I, I had a team that wasn't at all as extreme as as what uh, would my I do remember that grid now that you mentioned it from <laughs> Mike. <laughs> I had one where I took. Verlander and Kershaw in the same draft and Cindergard. And that's worked out pretty okay, good. Yeah. Because there were pretty steep discounts initially. The discounts fade. Like the, the, the problem with the injured pitchers is that if you draft in November, December, January, well ahead of the season, it's not spring training. We don't know how hard guys are throwing. They have it. We don't have They're great fruit league and on cactus TV league results. Yeah. yeah, we don't have any of those things. It's a total unknown. There's a pretty good discount on players like that. How many of those players you should take and which ones you want to take a chance on, that's the matter of debate that comes around every single draft season. But I think my my argument, at least for, for Verlander, was pretty stupid. It was just... He's Verlander. Like, why, <laughs> why wouldn't he come back and be fine? Like it's like the say it's it's like a Scherzer defense. It, it, there's not even reason behind it other than uh, no, it's Scherzer. He's fine. He, he he'll be fine. He, he's Scherzer, and that's that's not a very satisfactory answer to something like that. But I, I do think the earlier you draft, the more you're going to get a discount on injured pitchers in particular, and that's a, a really good time if you like taking on that risk if you believe in those pitchers you think the timetable makes sense you think the way they've uh, maybe handled injuries in the past or their organizations have handled injured pitchers in the past that gives you more confidence that's when you'd want to get in and we do have a question about injured pitchers so i think we should probably just put that out there next Um, this question is really interesting in the face of jacob Degrom being ridiculous yesterday i know dansby swanson hit a two-run homer off him that was the last batter he faced but the slider was basically untouchable, and he was perfect Mid-90s. for most of that outing. I mean, it was just absurd how well Jacob deGrom mm. was pitching. We had a question about expectations for a few more injured pitchers that have not returned yet. Uh, Lance McCullers, Dustin May, Tyler Glasnow could get back before the end of the season. Mike Soroka, who we hear a bit less about, maybe could get back by the end of this season. So, uh, what do you do in season looking at players coming off of these major injuries and and how do you set expectations for them that are at least reasonable given that they might not immediately be the players they were before they got hurt? I mean, there's pretty good research out there that shows that you lose fastball command in your first year back from uh, Tommy John. So with the Tommy John returners, I would want to know what their fastball command was like before. <laughs> Uh, and so in the case of Tyler Glass now, I'm not super into him for this year because he didn't have great fastball command before and he comes back to a team that could use him for any amount of innings. <laughs> we have no idea. Might, they might be a one inning you know, pitcher for them for the end of the season. Um, and he comes back to an uncertain amount of fastball command. Given that he didn't have much great one before, a great amount of fastball command before, I'm, I'm not that super into him. Um, but they're not all Tommy John returners. Uh, Lance McCullers is a uh, flexor tendon surgery. 
Mm -hmm. And Soroka is Achilles, double, double Achilles. Second Achilles, Second yeah. Achilles. And who else did we have on that list? May was on there. And May, I now. don't think, had great fastball command either. So, he's... Uh, He's an interesting case. May, uh, my gut is uh, getting all bubbly and excited for him because he pitched like four innings in his last start. He had Tommy John earlier than Glass now. Uh, he's, it's been longer since he had it. And four innings is pretty good for a minor league rehab start. That means he could come up in a week or two and be pitching five, six innings at a time. Like, why not? I yeah, I mean, I think I'm the a Kershaw little excited injury. By May. <laughs> yeah, I think May might just come up to replace Kershaw. The Kershaw injury leaves the door open for a bit, and I also wonder: was May turning a corner in that brief time in 2021 before he got hurt? It was only five starts; it was 23 innings, but a 35 to six strikeout to walk ratio that season. It seemed like that was even the best version of Dustin May we'd seen yet, and it was in such a small sample that it's just hard to know if it's safe to even buy into it yeah i mean uh it was a big lurch forward in stuff plus um and there were some shape changes that i thought i was very excited about for his for his arsenal so um and he had above average location plus which uh a little bit surprising given he did also have reports of poor fastball command i wouldn't say that he has amazing command um so he tests my sort of internal calculation when it comes to uh, guys where I'd rather get them in year two after Tommy John than year one. Um, but at this point, you know, uh, he's mostly owned. I was looking around for him just in case maybe in a 12-teamer he was unowned. But people have been waiting on him for a while. So at this point, uh, you've made your bed. And, and, and if you feel bad uh, when you're watching Dustin May pitch and you say, I should have gotten on him earlier or spent more money or blah, 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 just remember all the other pitches you've had pitch in between while the other person had to have Dustin May sitting on their bench. So it's not always super easy to see that, and it's, and it's easy to remember, oh, Dustin May got away. You know, Oh, I had him, and then I had to drop him because I had an injury crunch. Well, who else pitched for you in between, you know? So uh, I, I, I think generally um, I want to be cautious on pitchers returning from injury. Remember Soroka. Oh, it's Achilles. It's not his arm. And then it goes again. So I'd rather they came back and demonstrated health before I do a large investment. I can't remember, and maybe my memory is just bad. I can't remember any of the pitchers having multiple Achilles injuries like this before. Like that's a pretty tough road back for Soroka. So my expectations initially are really low, but if he comes back and pitches well, I, I think I could end up being the high ranker on, on Soroka going into next season. I've always liked him from a pure talent perspective. The, the lack of K's hasn't bothered me because he's been so young for the level everywhere he's pitched. Seems like he's got a good plan for just getting hitters out. The command seems really good. So I'm I'm a little more wait and see on him only because it's so unusual to come back from this combination of injuries. By comparison, I would have more confidence in May and McCullers in the short term. Uh, nice to see Jesus Lazardo pitching pretty well in his first couple starts back too. 11 Ks, only one walk so far in 12 innings. It's coming off that shoulder injury that put him on the IL way back in May. Yeah, it's interesting. He said he's coming back, focusing more on command. Um, and I saw that big drop-off in Velo, which is meaningful pretty quickly. Um, Jesserman found three starts in, into a return off the IL. Um, you're, you're starting to get almost all signal uh, in terms of predicting the rest of your fastball velocity. So um, I was kind of out on Lizardo based on that, that early velocity report, but he's a guy that could benefit from better command. So if he's sort of, and from better health results. So if he's going to step off of his max, max velo and get enough uh, location out of it, then maybe he can be a guy that has only about a hundred, 101 stuff plus slightly above average actually for a starting pitcher, but improves his locations and improves his health outcomes. And, you know, we know he has a great home park. So, um, I may have been a little premature in saying that, uh, 
he wasn't uh, a pitcher I wanted right now coming back based on those early VLO readings. Yeah, I'm, I think he had plenty of VLO to give a little up, though, too. Right? You average 96 on your fastball. You can lose a tick or two, and maybe that's a trade-off worth making in Lazardo's case. We'll poor see. fastball shape. Um, mm. Maybe maybe just locating it better, maybe mixing up the pitches more. I mean, there's the, the, the breaking ball is pretty good. The fastballs are not. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We had a question here about an approach to hitters that I think is actually a very good approach. In this particular instance, it did not work. This is from listener Charles. Uh, Charles writes, when considering OBP leagues, I've always favored hitters with excellent contact ability because plate skills can be one of the more reliable skills. And if the batting order position is secure, then you always have a chance for a power spike with power often being a late developing tool. This year, my approach has kicked me in the teeth with Soto, Bregman, Turner, and Winker. Do you think my strategy is overly flawed or is this just a run of bad luck? And I don't think it OBP league versus just a normal 5x5 five five league, I don't think it makes a big difference here. I think this is generally a, a good approach with hitters. I think this is a group of players that I would typically want to bet on over a longer period of time. But I do think there are, are a couple questions to be answered. I mean, Winker Winker leaving Cincinnati was a big blow. He went from a guy that I thought was a, a sneaky NL MVP candidate because average OBP and power would play up in Cincinnati to someone that I was pretty nervous about switching leagues and being in a much more pitcher-friendly environment, at least one that was going to depress homers. But I also think Winker has an approach as a hitter that would be penalized a bit more than most in this run environment too, right? Because Winker's not just a pull-everything sort of hitter. So I wonder if we got a little bit of a, an extra push in the wrong direction from Winker for things that are out of his control. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, sort of psychologically, you know, if this sort of thing exists, um, you know, Hanniger's injury came at a weird time because it left Winker as um, the guy, you know, on a new team who was struggling. Um, and I think that just leads to more pressing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there was a little bit of a spiral. You see, as the team has gotten better, Winker has gotten better. You know, um, and I don't think it's hard to know chicken and egg 
in that situation. But Winker has been better recently. And I think generally this is a great approach. I was looking at, so I've got the leaderboard here, qualified hitters sorted by WRC plus on fan graphs. And you've got a, a top 30 here. Um, do you want to wager a guess as to how many hitters in the top 30 by WRC plus have a below average strikeout rate? How many of the top 30 hitters by WRC plus have a below average strikeout rate in a good way? No, I have like a worse than average strikeout rate. A, okay, a worse than average. Then I will say that's a small number. I'm going to say five out of 30. Dang, you're pretty good. It's four. Yeah, it, strikeouts are strikeouts are a big deal. Yeah, you look at the top and you see Aaron Judge with 25%. And you say, oh, take that. And then you look at the next the next one is Austin Riley at seven. Um, and then you have to go all the way down to the 26th, no, the 23rd ranked player to find another one above with a worse than average strikeout rate. So, yes, one and seven out of the top 30 have a below average strikeout rates, but then the next one is at 23. So, between one and 23, uh, 21 guys have be- better than average strikeout rates. So, it's definitely something. Uh, to look for. Not all of them have uh, uh, above average walk rates, but uh, it's almost the same thing where let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six have below average walk rates. But we're still talking about 30 here, so if you if you looked for above average strikeout rates and above average walk and better than average walk rates, uh, you would probably get you know, the other 15 to 20 of the top 30. The other thing about this too, is that Winker was hitting the ball pretty hard for the better part of the last two seasons combined, right? The shortened season, 49% hard hit rate by StatCast. He was at 47.1% in 2021, his final season with the Reds. He's down at 32.6%. That's a massive drop in hard contact that has to be among qualified hitters one of the biggest drops in hard hit rate that we've seen so far this season yeah i i, I think that's related to pressing i think it was i think he was swinging at bad bad pitches i would say um but uh what i'm trying to do real real quickly here is um k percentage less than 22 walk percentage greater than point not 085. Um, I'm okay. That's when you point nine. I'm applying it. Hmm. Oh, I said equal to. That's no good. Uh, equal to will not help. No, less than. Here we go. I'm applying it. Why? How come there's nobody? This, folks, is how sausage is made. Yes, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, okay, this ain't working. Never mind. <laughs> um, I was trying to use the filters. You can use these filters. Uh, oh, there we go. All right, I got it. So a strikeout rate less than league average and walk rate above league average and then sorted by uh, ISO, but I'm going to do it backwards. Here are our possible uh, uh, Jesse Winkers of the future. Uh, Stephen Kwan. Uh, Cabrian Hayes. Yes. Gavin Lux. Oh, Jesse Winker. <laughs> Jesse Winker, still, still, still there. Still could be the Jesse Winker of the future. <laughs> um, who is young on this list? Jake Cronenworth? Could, that's, you remember Jake Cronenworth did have that, that power breakout one year. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, interesting name on there. He hits the ball hard. Yeah, Alex Bregman, again. See, some of these are the, the, the players he has on his team. <laughs> um, it didn't work out for all of them. Why does it go wrong for some of these players who have this really good approach that we fundamentally just believe in? Like we we want players that, that do this. Why why does it go wrong? I mean, Bregman Bregman hasn't been right for a long time. And yet he's twenty five percent better than league average. You shush your mouth. Right, but he hasn't been the player we've expected mm. him to be from a fantasy perspective, because all of those those homers have pretty much disappeared. You look at the past well, for for this season, just for a moment, I'll get the past year up too, but this is pretty illustrative, I think, of who he is. Bregman's a 247, 353, 420 hitter this year. 13 homers, doesn't steal bases, 
Bregman is jerks in Profar right now. Mm. And Profar actually steals some bases. Run production's about the same. Profar is on this list. <laughs> yeah, so how how does Alex Bregman turn into jerks in Profar? I have one idea. And I did actually say this to, to Bregman last time I saw him. Um, I talked to Marco Scudero a long time ago. When I was early on, when I was in the in the park, 2011, 2010, something like that, and I said, uh, I said, you lead the league in in contact rate, and he goes, yeah, I probably lead the league in bad contact too. Uh, yep. And he was, he was saying that you know sometimes he wished he would swing over a pitch so that he could get another shot at it because you make contact with the wrong pitch, uh, and you're and you're just putting a weak ball into play. I think that's, uh, you know, that's a descriptor for, you know, like Stephen Kwan, man. That guy does not miss. Uh, it doesn't always lead to a homer, you know, um, because he's he's can make contact on pitcher's pitches. So, uh, you know, sometimes you want these guys to be maybe more selective, swing a little bit less. Um, you know, Stephen Kwan has said that the, the Guardians have told him that they would like him to kind of be more aggressive, use his A-swing more often. I talked to Nico Horner recently, and I said, how, how have you, you know, sort of tapped into more power and, and you're pulling more fly balls this year? And he said, the only thought I've had that's any different than the past is I want to be a little bit more aggressive this year. So I think that's what you want to see out of some of these guys is more A swings, maybe a little bit more swing and miss um, because they're using their A swings, but more A swings where they're trying to drive the ball, they are swinging with intention. Um, but at least they've got that sort of superstar, like really superstar underlining. You know, like this is the only way to become a superstar. The, almost the only way to become a superstar is to be really good at the plate and really powerful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like really good at, at, at patience, really good at contact and really powerful. You can have guys like Aaron Judge who have a little bit more swing and miss than usual. Um, yeah, I guess I put it Ronald Acuna Jr. in that group. Um, and that just, I guess, is just top top shelf athleticism but it's a little bit easier to find guys that pop up into that maybe second level of star if you start with really good plate skills and i and i still believe that i'm just looking at the stephen kwan uh, hard hit balls volume count and barrels volume count okay you hit everything we know the rate can be low how many barrels do you think Stephen Kwan has this season? He has three hundred. No, he has, he has three hundred seventeen batted ball events. How many barrels do you think he has? Oh God, that's a great that's a great question because the percentage is low. Uh, he only has two homers. Uh, three eighty one slugging though. I'm gonna go with five. He's got three. Three. Three barrels. So oh. when. When you start thinking about the the future Winkers list, which again, it's funny that Jesse Winker himself is on there. I think you do want to find hitters that barrel the ball some. Like Quan, Quan is his own thing. He's he's a very odd player, and unless he starts stealing bases or, or doing something else that we get really excited about in fantasy, he's going to be pretty firmly in my much better real life player than fantasy player group. And a lot of times those players just don't end up on my rosters at all, even though there can be decent value there, right? If he ends up sticking high in the order, hits for a good average over a large volume of playing time, scores a lot of runs, that's not a bad player, but it's not necessarily a profile that's going to get a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why I like, uh, I, I know that um, there's some debate about the, the usefulness of, of Max EV, but I still like uh, Max Exit Velocity as a, as, a, as a raw power number. I've done some more filtering on this leaderboard where now I have everybody under the age of 27 with more than 250 plate appearances, and I've added Barrels and Max EV uh, to the, uh, the, the, the leaderboard. Um, and I still think Cabrian Hayes counts as a possible future winker because he's got these good plate skills. Uh, he has the 113 max EV, which is one of the best on this list, uh, and he does have at least 12 barrels this year. Alejandro Kirk is 100% uh, in this group because he has these great plate skills. He has 12 homers this year. That's pretty good, but he has 110 max EV and a good barrel rate. Um, Luis Urias looks okay in this 
Um, Will Smith, I think, might have another level uh, in him when it comes to power. Um, and then you start getting people who are actually getting the results you'd expect. And Will Smith is pretty borderline because he's already got a 202 ISO, so he's had a pretty good year. But, uh, you know, early on, I, I, I like Luis Urias, Cabrian Hayes, and Alejandro Kirk as the next Jesse Winkers. The never-ending pursuit of the next Jesse Winker. Even as, our, as the current Jesse Winker leaves us cold. Yeah, he's just out there disappointing us. We're like, let's get more guys like that. <laughs> uh, just be real careful when they switch parks, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think after, I mean, I, I was in on Winker before the trade, backed off after the trade. I might be back in again going into next season because the price is going to come down. So that's how it goes, uh, as we've said time and time again. Thanks a lot for the many great questions that basically inspired the entire rundown today. If you've got questions for a future episode, you can send those to rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Our Twitter handles work to at Derek Van Riper, at Eno Saris. Um, also, you can leave questions under this video if you're watching us on YouTube. So be sure to do that if you're tuning in there. And be sure to subscribe to the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel. I really appreciate everybody who's done that. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.